you would you would get all the glory uh, all the glory from our lives and from our choices as we uh, learn to love you better in Jesus name we pray Amen alright well it's, it's good to be back this morning I've been gone for a couple of weeks it's odd to be gone a couple of weeks you say where were you Greg I was uh on vacation with my family. It was the last week of homeschool, so we thought we would take a nine-day field trip. (laughs) Which is a lot when you have five children under the age of nine. Um, So I wanted to show a couple of pictures here just to let you know what I was doing the last couple of weeks. Here's the first one. Here's our four older kids. They're not particularly old. This is at uh, Zion Canyon in southwest Utah. Uh, This was after about eight or nine hours in the car going from Grand Junction. Uh, You could see Reeves, the oldest. (laughs) He was car sick and he he started crying and said, I don't want to go. But we made it and then I gave him some Sour Patch Kids and he was good to go. <laughs> These are the things you do on road trips with little kids. Okay, we go to the next one here. Uh, we then went on to California to Legoland, which I didn't know about until I had uh, kids who were into Legos. Um, there's Reeve again. Now he's obviously excited. No longer car sick. I didn't need to give him any Sour Patch Kids because we were at Star Wars Legoland. We go to the next one. And so we got to meet Darth Vader, made completely out of Legos. Except for his lightsaber. I think the rest of him was all Legos. Max was pretty excited and I think Scarlett was terrified. (laughs) We'll go to the next one. I got to meet Chewbacca. Completely made out of Legos. He didn't growl though. I was a little disappointed with that. We can go to the next one. Uh, We did go to the beach. This was the first time for uh, four of our five children. Uh, Although Max hardly counted. He was nine months old when he went to uh, the ocean last time. So here's all our shoes in a row and a couple of uh, footprints for the baby there on the end. We can, it was kind of hard to get his footprints there. It took some coaxing. We'll go to the next one. Uh, on the way back, we came through the Four Corners. How many have been to Four Corners? It's the only place in the United States where you can be in four states at once. Or if in my case, you can have four children in four states at once. <laughs> we'll go to the next one here. And here we are. We did a drive-by of the Grand Canyon. And my wife and I said, fine, you guys watch the movie in the car. We're getting out to take pictures. So here we are. It is a thing of beauty uh, and a thing of catastrophe. It really speaks to me of a great catastrophe. Um, but it is beautiful and it will take your breath away. If you ever get a chance to go to the Grand Canyon and give God glory, I can suggest you do it. I think, was that the last one? It's the last picture. We can go to the next slide then. That's good. All right, so our teaching series has been called Envision which if this is your first Sunday, you might wonder, what in the world is envisioned? Is that even a word? Um, Our goal with the series has been to try to help you understand many aspects of following God. What is a disciple? How do we make a disciple? Um, The pastors have uh, touched on several facets of discipleship here as we've gone along, including last week when Rich, I believe, even though I wasn't here, Rich taught about how to love the lost. So today it's our goal to look at what it means to love not the lost the found love the saved so another way we could say this is if you count yourself a believer how do you relate to other believers so the first question we're going to ask is I'm a believer why should I care about other believers 
Although I think most of us would agree that society would really be in trouble if nobody cared for each other. And so there's really kind of a practical basis for everybody to sort of look out for each other. I think when we go to a spiritual level, the simple answer to that question is found in the book of John, chapter 13, verses 34 and 35, which is here on the screen, that says, A new command I give you, love one another. As I've loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Do you think loving one another is important? (laughs) He says it at least three times there. It's a simple answer to the simple question. Why do we love other believers? Because Jesus said we need to love other believers. So with that, I'm done and we'll close and we'll pray. Just kidding. In all seriousness, we can really break this down quickly. First, God loved us. And so what does that entail? Remember, He sacrificed His Son in your place to cover the penalty for our sins. Is there a greater expression of love than giving your first and only born child to stand in the place for somebody else's penalty? There's not. And so then the next thing is the response to this love. Remember, not as a way to earn this love, but as a response to this love. What are we to do? Well, the Bible tells us we need to love God, which seems simple enough. You know, if someone gives you something, you tend to love them. Like, so if you gave me a delicious slice of perfectly cooked, thick-cut peppered bacon, I would probably love you. <laughs> so it's easy. it's easy for me then to love you back when I get something from you. So we get this great gift from God, it's easy to love God back. But here, we go back to Jesus' command. He's asking us to go beyond loving God back. And what he's asking us to do is a radical concept that really distinguishes Christianity from any other worldview, any other belief system. We are to take that love from God and love others. Not because loving others gains us something, but we're doing it because God loved us and gave us the ultimate gift. So we say, okay, that's fine. Who are others? Others. Who's that? Well, it's both those who don't count themselves as believers, like we just talked about last week, and those who do count themselves as believers. Like that's what we're going to talk about today. So let's move on. He says, love one another. You know, it happens a couple times here in this verse. And, you know, we live in this culture of self-declared expertise on love, right? You listen to music, and what do you hear? Love, 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 love. You watch movies, what do you hear? Love, 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 love. Right? If, uh, if you ask people to define love, though, I think you would get a lot of different answers. But most of them, people wouldn't have a clue what to tell you. And they'd say something like, I don't know. Love is like, you know, love and stuff. <laughs> Nobody can really answer it. So maybe we can look to the Bible. And I'm really glad that God saw fit to have Jesus' words be recorded in Greek instead of in English. Because the Greek language has a variety of words that are used for love. And each, each of those words is really descriptive of particular elements of the love relationship. And so in this case, in this passage in John 13, the Greek word that's used for love is agape. It's a Greek word. And we can define agape as esteem, cherish, favor, honor, respect, accept, prize, relish, be devoted to, etc., etc., etc. 
So now I look out there and I see a lot of you longtime Christians starting to glaze over in your eyes. You're like, here we go. The 1,000th discourse on the different terms of Greek love, right? We're not doing that, so come back to the light. We'll move on. I want you instead to think about those things. Esteem, cherish, favor, honor, respect, accept, prize, relish, be devoted to. And think about... What kind of relationship do you think those are most applicable to? Like, if you think of an example of a relationship, what would you apply that to? Anybody? Someone say marriage? Yes, marriage. And so many of you, like me, probably headed up to Fort Fun this afternoon for a wedding. Zach and Gretchen are getting married. Of course, I think a lot of people are already there, or they're in it. Um, and I think it's very cool to go to weddings this time of year. On this weekend in particular, it's kind of nostalgic for me. Tomorrow is my wife and I's 12th anniversary. We got married on the Sunday of Memorial Day. Um, and so it's a special time. And we like to go to weddings this time of year. Maybe not too many weddings, but a few weddings. Started to glaze over just like you guys were a minute ago. And... Uh, Tonight we might hear it, or if you go to other weddings this season, you might hear a particular passage on love. And you know where I'm going here. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 to 8, gives a good description of love. It says, love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it is not rude, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not rejoice in evil, but delights in the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. And so we all know, because we go to these weddings, we know this passage sets a high bar for love and marriage. But take a guess what Greek word is used for love in this passage. Anyone? Agape. Yes, you got it. So do you see, the same high standard we apply for love and marriage is the same high standard we should apply for our relationships with each other in the church, with other believers. So let that sink in for a minute. You need to relate to each other the same way you would relate to your spouse. You do relate to your spouse. You would relate to your spouse if you're single. So this idea has consequences, and we'll touch on those consequences in a minute. But first... I want to sort of take another approach to agape love with another scriptural concept, which is adoption. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 5, it says this, In love, He, speaking of God, in love, He predestined us to be adopted as His sons through Jesus Christ. So what is adoption? To go to Merriam-Webster, it's defined as the act of transferring parental rights and duties to someone other than the adopted person's biological parents practice is ancient and occurs in all cultures. It is the welcoming of an orphan or one who's lost their family into a family, granting the rights and responsibilities and status of a son or daughter to one not naturally born of that family. So I have a little bit of experience in this. Um, some of you know I have a younger sister who was adopted. When I was 16, she was four. My parents went to Russia and brought her home into our family. And now, she was obviously excited for parents, but she was super excited to have a family. And so I think when it comes to thinking about spiritual adoption, we really have a tendency to think only in terms of gaining God as our Father. I've been adopted, now I have a spiritual father. Particularly for those of you who have had a, a, a tough relationship or no relationship with a father, that can be really exciting to say, wow, now I have a father, I have a spiritual father, this is great. But adoption is just as much, if not more, about family 
than it is about parents or about fathers. And so we've been adopted not only to gain God as our spiritual father, but we've been adopted into the church. See, when my parents went and got my sister, she sat there and in Russian, she kept saying, somebody's other saying, Bratchik, Bratchik, Bratchik. And they said, what is Bratchik? What does that mean? Well, she'd seen a picture of our family, my, myself and my brother and my parents. And she was asking, where are my brothers? Of course, I wasn't there. I was in high school, 16 at the time. My brother was off at college, and so, of course, we didn't go with him. And so she was confused. She thought she was getting into a family, and here were these parents, and she said, where's the family? And so I think that's kind of the, the way we need to be when we approach the church. If we reject the church, if we reject other believers, either by commission and do it willfully or by omission, and just don't really think about it, we're really rejecting God. So this would be akin to, say, my sister. She'd been like, uh, no thanks. I'll take the material benefits of having parents, but I'm really not interested in being part of that family. Right? Just, I'll get the parent thing, but not the sibling thing. So do you think, does that work in a family? Does a family work if someone doesn't want to be a sibling? How do you think that makes other siblings feel? How do you think I would have felt if my sister was like, Psh, I don't want anything to do with you guys. Not good, right? So here's another verse that talks about another angle, talking about adoption, what God does with families. It's Psalm 68, verses 5 and 6. It says, A father to the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in his holy dwelling. A father to the fatherless. The orphan, right? God sets the lonely in organizations. No, he sets the lonely in families. He means for the prisoners of singing. So it seems readily apparent that God's intention is not only to save us from the penalty of sin I mentioned ago, a minute ago, but also to save us into his family, where we receive a multitude of benefits, such as compassion, companionship, accountability, spiritual and intellectual learning, corporate worship, help in times of need, encouragement in times of despair, corporate tears in times of sorrow, accolades in time of accomplishment, and even fun times. Hey, there's an idea. Church, being part of the church is not boring. Some of the best times I've had have been in the company of other believers. I've been reminiscing recently. My wife and I, we love being together, just the two of us, and um, leaving the children behind and just getting away. But when we think back, one of our fondest memories is a trip we took to Hawaii maybe two years ago. And part of why it was such a great memory for us is we went with some of you, Brad and Sarah Albert and, and Jess and Jeremy Triggs. I know a number of other of you were there. And you know what? As much fun as we would have had if we'd gone by ourselves, the memories are extra special because you guys were part of it. And there's other fun times, too. I just recently, uh, someone recounted to me the time, uh, a story about the time I ran over Rich with a golf cart. <laughs> and I laugh every time. You know, some good times. <laughs> I won't tell you that story now, but he obviously was okay. He only limped for a couple of years after that. So, unless you're like cold-hearted and you're not interested in being friends with people, you're like, yeah, 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 it's great. I love my fellow Christians. This is fantastic. But hold on a second and let me temper maybe any excitement you have for this because I want to ask you a tough question, which is, how are you doing right now at demonstrating love for other believers? Remember, back to the verse of John, this is a command for Jesus. This isn't a suggestion, it's a command. We take it very seriously. And so I know when you look at that command, oh, love others, and you might say, hold on, 
what, the, the church is a universal thing. It's not just a small group of people. It's a universal thing. And I know that there's a sense of, man, I love those Christians over there. I love what Dr. Dobson is doing or I love Caleb Radio or something. You know, I, There's lots of opportunities to love Christians sort of universally, but it's really hard to put legs on the obedience that's required for loving others when people are kind of afar, when believers are afar. And you know, the Bible supports this. In the New Testament, when we read about the church, when Paul or the other epistles or anyone mentions the church, it's in reference to a local church. It's not in reference to a universal church. And so we can conclude that the authors of the New Testament assumed that believers were to be intimately involved in the local church. And so if we think about adoption and we think about being saved into a family, we need to think about our local church as God's family that we're saved into. And we need to obey the verse that's in Galatians chapter 6, verse 10. It says this, As we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Not just to everybody, especially special emphasis on doing good to the family of believers. And so let's go back to my family. I saw some pictures of them earlier. You know what Christine and I find as we're shepherding our kids and training them and guiding them and interacting with them and laughing with them and having fun times is that we're not necessarily dealing with five individuals. But we're really dealing with a herd, a raft of relationships. So we're going to do some quick math should be exciting for you engineers. You can pull out your slide rules. Okay, so some of you in here are single. Which is good. It's a good place to be. In your immediate family, how many relationships do you have? Zero. Me, myself, and I doesn't count. If you're married, so some of you in here are just Jeremy and some others. You're married you don't have any kids. How many relationships do you have in your family? One. Right? Okay, if you have one kid, you like Brad and Sarah, and you have a little Phoebe, how many relationships in your family? Three. Okay, if you have two kids, how many relationships in your family? Six. Three kids? Ten relationships. Four kids? Fifteen relationships. Five kids like us? Twenty-one relationships. Six kids like the Macintoshes? Twenty-eight relationships. Dennis and Thelma Clark, and a Parker, have nine kids. How many relationships? 55. The Duggars on TV, they have 19 kids, right? They have, I think it's 19. They have 19 kids. Do you know how many relationships in your family? 210. So this is a nerdy math formula here. We'll put it on the screen. You see R equals relationships, which is N, the number of people in your, in your family, N times N minus 1 over 2. Or you could just say the sum of the integers less than, not less than or equal to, less than N. So I don't know, Kirk, are you really excited? You're like, ooh, math, math, math. So people say to me, it's happened on the trip, wow, five kids. I go, no, it's, oh, wow, 21 relationships. It's never a dull moment. So what does this say about the relational possibilities at church? How many of us are there? How many relational possibilities are there? So here's a passage to think on. As you go, wow, that's a lot to manage. Romans 12, verses 4 to 6, just as each one of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we who are many form one body, and each member belongs 
to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to us. See, you can't be part of the body unless you're part of the body. That makes sense. You can't be part of the family unless you're part of the family. You can't say you're part of something unless you're part of it. God's design for the church is that we not only be servants of Christ, but servants working together in unison. We're not going to be that little hand from Adam's family that kind of runs around on its own. It doesn't really work. Did I date myself with that reference? No. So I go on about how that's important about gifts and this and people working together. But let's get down to the nitty gritty. How are you doing at obeying Jesus' command to love fellow believers in the local church? And to help you answer that question, I developed two diagnostic questions. Ooh, diagnostics. He's excited over here, right? All right, here's the two questions. Number one, do you count yourself as a believer? And number two, in your heart, do you love other believers with the standards of agape found in 1 Corinthians 13? That's the only two questions you need to ask yourself. So the first one, look, you're going to be in one of three camps. You're a believer and you're confident of it. You're not a believer and you're confident of it. Or you think you're a believer or maybe you're not sure if you're a believer. And so if you're confident you got this question nailed, you can move on to the second one. If you're not a believer, you don't need to go on to the second question yet. And I'm glad you're here if you're not a believer. And I hope that you're here because you're considering becoming a believer. And so maybe you can just listen to this diagnostic question and think about, oh, this loving the saved and God setting the lonely in families. And maybe you'll get a better understanding of what it's like, what you'd be signing up for if you become a Christian. And so if you fall into that third category, I hope you spend some time and take a look at your standing before God. See, if you can't say you're 100% certain you'll spend eternity in heaven with God, not 99%, not 95%, not 90%, not 50%. If you can't say you're 100% certain you're going to spend eternity in heaven with God, you fall into this category. Or maybe you're not even certain that Jesus is Lord of your life. You're like, yeah, He saved me, but Lord of my life and in control of my life and I'm listening to Him and His commands 100%. Maybe you're in that category too. And if you find yourself in that category, be honest, it's okay to be there. I would encourage you to get serious and make a decision one way or another, hopefully, to become a believer. And I'd love to talk with you about it. Any of the pastors would love to talk to you about it. A number of people here would love to have a conversation about that. And don't be ashamed to be there. I've had many friends who found themselves there. I even think of my my colleague at work who uh, thought he was a believer for years and years and years until someone approached him and said, are you sure you're a believer? So you're in good company. It's okay to realize that you're a make-believer and not a true believer because that gives you the opportunity to change. And so, hopefully you change. And hopefully you're over here and you can say, yes, confidently I'm a believer. So we move on to that second diagnostic question. And if you're candid with your heart and you say, goodness, do I love other believers with the standards of a God thing? And you answer no. And you're honest and you answer no, I'm not doing it. And that's okay. Thanks for being honest. Then I'm going to surmise you're probably going off track in one of a few ways. And I'll put those ways here before you. First one, you aren't even choosing to be where you can obey God's command. And this would be you if you maybe find yourself 
occasionally going to church or you participate in church when there's time or at Christmas and Easter. Of course, if you're in that camp, why are you here today? It's not Christmas or Easter. That might be you. But see, here's the problem with that is that the New Testament is full of the one another commands. Love one another, serve one another, pray for one another, honor one another, etc., etc., etc. You cannot obey the one another commands without being in close proximity to one another, to other believers. The second way you might be going off track is you're here, you attend church, but you aren't giving your heart to your church family like you would to your family. Do you think that coming to church or to small group regularly is just enough? Oh, it's good to be there, to check the box, I came. You might fall into this category. And if this is the case and you think it's just good enough, it's good enough, I think you need to start preaching the gospel to yourself. Remember we went through that series before where we talked about the gospel and how God's given you this great gift and nothing you can do is can earn this. It's just an unattainable gift through your own work. So how could something be enough? So if you're out of God, out of in God's family out of obligation, maybe you're thinking you're trying to earn God's favor and you can't earn God's favor by doing things. Why do we obey God's command? Why do we obey Jesus' command here in John 13? It's because He loved us and He paid that price and it's our response to that. So the third way you might have come off track is maybe you love God's people and you love the church. You're like, yeah, this is great. But you find yourself splitting your passions with something else equally or even something else greater. And so there's lots of things that can divide our times and our interests. Now, some of them are fun. A lot of them are good. Examples of this might include sports or activities or jobs, extended family, hobbies, skiing, snowboarding, sleep. You fall into this camp if you can see a clear conflict between something else and God's people. If you find yourself fighting a battle in your mind over what has priority, God's people or something else, you're probably going to be here. And I think this means that you're probably struggling with the concept of loyalty. But see, there's some smart Christians who've been around a long time and have examined the church and examined ministries. And one of those guys is an evangelist by the name of John Mott. And he said this. He said, Loyalty is the cardinal virtue in Christian work. After wide observation and prolonged study of biography, I place it first. Loyalty ensures unity, confidence, liberty, and power in all Christian movements which year in and year out achieve the greatest spiritual results. Do you catch that? Loyalty is the cardinal virtue in Christian work. And so if you find yourself in this camp and you say, man, I'm splitting my loyalty and I'm not being loyal to God's people, then you're harming yourself and you're harming your local church because that's how the most fruitful ministry occurs is when people are loyal to it. This is the fourth way you might be going off track here when it comes to loving others, loving believers, is that you are afraid of the commitment that might be required of you. See, I've noticed a major trend. I've told many people about this. There's a huge trend in our generation. And what is our generation? X? Millennials? I I don't even know what the name is. Whatever. That commitment, commitment to anything in our generation is minimal. 
drives me crazy sometimes. But then I find myself doing it. Maybe it's just a cultural thing, but we like to wait until the last minute to make sure there's nothing better coming along that we can spend our time. That way we don't really want to be tied to a long-term job or we don't want to be tied to a family or to geography or to certain values because we want to be a little flexible and hip and change. It's good. And this probably drives you baby boomers crazy, right? Because you guys are like, this is, we're doing this down the road. I'm sorry for my generation. But again, I think we go back to loyalty and loyalty is the key here. God requires it. His ministry expands because of loyalty. And most importantly, other people are blessed when you are loyal. How many of you here can say, I've been blessed by people being loyal? How many of you can say, I've been blessed by being loyal myself? That's a pretty good body of work there. So what are some practical steps I can take to love believers in my local church? And if I find myself in one of these categories, I go, man, I'm really struggling. I'm putting my passions or I'm not participating in church or my heart's not there. There's some things you can do. So the first one, you can become a physical part of your local church. In Acts chapter 2, we see evidence of the believers being together, meeting together, serving together. You know, Jesus could have selected any organization to carry out his mission. He could have been like, I'm going to set up the Amway of Christ. (laughs) Or I'm going to set up a corporation. Or he could have done anything, but what did he choose? He chose the local church. So I want you to recognize that and then join in with it. The second thing, second practical step you can take would be you're not giving your heart to the church give your heart to the local church stop being here without being here stop being, trying to be part of the family without being part of the family and so here's some things you could do to get your heart involved if you've never been baptized be baptized make a public statement in front of everybody else that you're a believer if you're interested in that talk to me talk to the pastor talk to somebody else we'll make it happen second thing you could do is come to small group or come to small group regularly if you're not coming regularly. Um, I'm, I'm just so encouraged this week. Um, just sort of spontaneously, a number of people in our small group just expressed as a praise time as we, as we prayed. They said, man, God has just used this group in my life and it's amazing. And I'm like, man, that's despite me. I don't feel like I've had anything to do with that. I feel like it's been all God and God working in that. So if you're not part of that, you're missing something. Come to these Bible studies. I mentioned the women's Bible study. I think there's still a men's Bible study going on. And get involved and plug in. Learn about the Bible. Another thing is you're coming to these things and as you're relating to others on Sunday mornings and other times, be open and be honest and be vulnerable and open your heart and share your struggles and share your joys and your passions. And um, As you open up, it's, it's amazing how God can work in that. Another thing you can do, you can ask where you can serve. Serving ties our heart to the church. You need somewhere to serve. Most of you know, I work one day at the church and it just seems like about every fourth day or so, the pastor says, hey, we have this other thing for you to do. There's all these things that I start having to carry in front of my shoulders and we laugh about it. But if you need somewhere to serve, let me know. I've got a lot of opportunities where you can serve. And then, when you do that, or if you've done that and you're on a ministry team, serve serve in those places and rub shoulders and encourage and talk to each other and be in people's lives and take part in that and God will use that. The last thing I'd suggest you could do to give your heart to the local church is make a prayer list. Pray for your fellow believers. I've been so encouraged. In our small group, 
one of the families in the Mahalis, they have some younger kids and they have this thing at home they do with their family and they call it the prayer jars. And when they have a prayer request, they take a popsicle stick and they write on that popsicle stick the prayer request and they put it in a jar and they pray. And when God answers it, they take it out of the prayer request and put it in the answered prayer jar. And in our small group, we don't do that physically, but we've been doing that kind of on a... a you know, an abstract way and you should be saying, got any popsicle sticks we need to move? And I feel like as we've gone through the months, it's, it's almost equal. As many requests as there are praises of the way God is answering prayer. And if you're not part of the local church and you're not in that, you're not experiencing that and not seeing God answer those prayers clearly for other people. You're not participating and praying for those people weekly and daily. So I encourage you to do that. It's a way you can get your heart tied into the local church. Third thing you can do, uh, if you uh, if you find yourself needing to love believers more, would be to make a clear decision to be loyal. See, it's really easy to coast and be distracted, right? Particularly if you're in my generation, a little bit younger. Just go, oh, just coast, and I just kind of do this and that. I want to be free. I want to be footloose. I want to be able to do what I want to do and change. And you know what? It requires sacrifice to be loyal. But loyalty is blessed by God, so it kind of takes sacrifice to have that. And I'm sorry that it takes sacrifice. I wish it was easy. I wish we could just be footloose and do what we want to do. But I hope you'd be blessed by joining in. So choose to join in and be loyal. Make that choice. It's something only you can make in your heart. And then the last way, the last thing I would say is that commit to church like you'd commit to marriage. Oh, no. I always come there. First Corinthians 13 says, well, then we've applied that standard to, the ch- to, to marriage. Let's apply it to the church. What if we treat it that way? What if we treat each other and said, man, I can't leave you. That'd be like divorcing you. Or I, I need to spend time with you the same way I'd spend it with my spouse. How would we act? How would things look different here? How would things look different in your life? If you treat each other, the people in this room, the people in this church, the way you would treat your spouse. And so my hope today, through all of this, is that you're encouraged and you're challenged to join with us here at the firehouse or with some other church, if you're from some other church. Join in and obey Jesus' command to love your fellow believers in this way. Let's pray. Father, I pray you would move in our lives, Spirit, to show us how we can love each other and love our fellow believers more. Um, Lord, as we take sort of a stock of our lives and where we stand in our hearts, um, help us to be just really honest with ourselves and honest with you. Lord, if we're not believers, Lord, anyone who's not, Lord, I pray you lay it on their, their hearts to understand that there is this grand family to be part of, that if they're lonely and not being a believer, that they could find that there is, there is a family of believers they could be part of, they could be saved into, not just a relationship with you, but a relationship with their family. And, uh, um, Lord, if, people are, if anyone is, is in that category where they think they're a believer or maybe they're not sure, Lord, I, I pray you would be prompting them through your Spirit that they would make that choice. Lord, and as we are believers, if we find that we're not, 
We're not loving believers. We've not committed in a local church as an opportunity to express your love and to serve alongside and pray with and, and care for and um, be with each other. Um, Lord, I pray we lay it on, on our hearts to do that. Um, Lord, guide us and protect us. Lord, we pray that your hand would be on this church for your sake and your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for coming today. Um, we'll see you next week for the next.